I'm going to share a passage with you. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 33. I'll pick up in verse 7. So you, O son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. And therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak and warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I shall require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. And therefore, you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we live? And say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his evil and live. Turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? And he picks up in verse 27, And thus say to them, thus says the Lord, As I live, surely those who are in ruins shall fall by the sword. And the one who is in the open field I will give to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and the caves shall die of the pestilence. For I will make the land most desolate. And her arrogant strength shall cease. And the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. And then they will know that I am the Lord. When I have made the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. Would you pray with me? Father, we realize that your word is true, and that command you have placed upon me. And Lord, we desire now to hear from you, from your word, and we pray that you would speak to us as the church, that you would strengthen us in these days, that we would not be divided that, God, you would not allow the enemy to wreak havoc. Lord, in us as your church, us as kingdom citizens in this world, in this nation. And so as we speak this morning to issues that are delicate, that do have the potential, Lord, to divide us, would you use your word for your people? We hear and we obey And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please take your seats? As I shared with you, if you were with us last Sunday, that I would take some time this morning, hopefully about 10 minutes, to share some things that are on my heart with regard to the election that we are facing. If my people, Second Chronicles reminds us, who are called by my name, brothers and sisters, we are called by the name above every name. We are Christians first. As my 
New friend, Dr. Tony Evans, said so eloquently Friday night, God ain't riding no donkey or no elephant. (laughs) Amen? And so I do not and will not speak political speech. I will speak biblical speech. And that biblical speech, that biblical word, I've been commanded to give you. Because if I see trouble coming and I don't warn you, that's on me. I see trouble coming. I don't want to take just a few minutes to talk about these things that are on our hearts and minds we can scarcely escape. If you go in to get a Slurpee, you're going to get some kind of political bent on it. Like a red one or a blue one. What do you want? And if they will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Does anybody in here want God to heal our land? Amen. Family, I beseech you by the mercies of God, do not let politics divide the body of Christ. We are at our strongest when we are unified in Christ. We're going to have some disagreements, but there are things about which we should not ever disagree, and that is the truth of God's word and what he says. I want to draw your attention to the 44th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And there in it, in verse 28, a pagan king, Cyrus, is going to be called for the benefit of the nation of Israel. And there's a very important reason that I draw your attention to this passage. Because Cyrus was a full-blown, absolute, pagan king from Persia. He was no friend to the Jewish people. Nor was he a friend to God. But he was used of God to set the Jewish people free. It says there of him who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And he shall perform all of my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. A pagan, godless king was used to put the Jewish people back into Jerusalem. So let's be very careful about what we say God cannot do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, if you wish to turn there, we find the record of this godless king. Verse 22 and 23, And now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, also of the prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah prophesied it as well, that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, Again, don't miss it, he's a stone-cold pagan. 
that he may proclaim throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus the king of Persia, that all of the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given to me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you for all of his people. And may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. We may well need another Cyrus. It's a tough day. It's a tough time. November 8th, we're going to be casting votes. I have been asked, and as I kicked the proverbial hornet's nest last Sunday, people very greatly misunderstood what I said. And I want to remind you, family of God, this is not the only time that we gather together here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. We meet on Thursday nights. We meet on Sunday nights. We meet on Tuesday nights. We meet on Wednesday nights. We meet on every day of the week, exactly as the book of Acts says. So there are things that I say on Thursday that we don't have time to do here on Sunday because we're in a very compressed time frame to move many, many thousands of people in and out of the facility. We have a one-hour window. And so I want to remind you, we have a wonderful website. That website contains every teaching that is given throughout the week, including the ladies' study and the men's studies and all the things that we do on Thursday nights, because there are multiple thousands of us who are here on Sunday that do not come Thursday nights and do not come on Sunday. So you have available to you the fullness of what I have said from the pulpit. And I've spoken to a whole bunch of issues, and I'm going to draw your attention to a couple of them. When asked how we should vote... Can I tell you something? It's not my job to tell you who to vote for. It is my job to preach the word of God, to teach the word of God, and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and thereby make kingdom citizens. My concern is the kingdom of God. It is not the kingdom of this earth. And so I must keep first things first. But that does not mean that I have not spoken and will not speak to the issues as they are found in Scripture. How do we vote? Romans 13 says this, very clear about human institutions of government. Can I remind you that it is very clear how God views it? Verse 1, we're going to get to this in our study on Romans. Join us on Thursday nights. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, even pagan kings. I will illuminate this in a moment. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Amen? And therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Why is this important? 
because of what Proverbs 29.2 says. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Brothers and sisters, we have a democracy in this country, and we are privileged to be able to vote for the leaders of our nation. Those three counteractive pieces of our government are the legislative branch, which we elect, the executive branch, which we elect, and the judicial branch, which we do not elect. But by default, when we elect a president, we are also putting the person in charge of who's going to appoint the appointees to the judicial branch. So here's how this plays out. Do you want righteousness in Washington, D.C., or do you want evil? Do you want evil rulers, or do you want God-fearing rulers? If you want God-fearing rulers, then you better get up and vote for God-fearing rulers. Amen? And yes, I'm preaching a little bit, because I've been challenged to do so in my own spirit, because I don't want anybody leaving this room thinking the wrong thing. Scripture is clear. We want God-fearing, Christ-honoring as best as we possibly can. We want God-fearing. If you want godless rulers, then here's your choices. Vote for someone who expresses godless viewpoints and or do nothing. Because by default, you will then be voting for the godlessness that is the God of this age, and he's the one that's kind of manipulating things right now. So if you want a godly outcome, then vote for godly people. The sky is not falling, brothers and sisters. You see, for us, it's not my job to tell you who to vote for. It's to tell you what Scripture says, so that you can vote with a God-fearing, Christ-honoring conscience. One that is as possibly uh, undefiled as we can get. Now let me give you four biblical principles that you can hang on to. Does anyone here believe in the power of the Word of God? Amen? If we believe that the Word of God is actually the Word of God, then we can trust what it says. Amen? So should it not shape how you vote? Yes, it should. Do we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit? Amen? Same Holy Spirit that put the universe to spinning is still in charge today. I believe in that power. We believe in that power. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Amen? I don't believe in the power of politics. I believe in the power of prayer. Because politics has done nothing but let us down. But I do believe in the power of prayer, I believe in the power of the Word of God, and I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? A fourth thing, do you believe that there is an all-powerful God that intervenes in the affairs of man? Amen? Do you believe, church? Because if you believe, you know how to vote. 
Go to the Word of God. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely trust in the power of prayer. And if you mess up, God is still able. Amen? I want to give you four things that you can take home. Four major biblical issues. And this will help formulate exactly what I just said. I want to also encourage you, go to the website, review, watch the message I did just scantily two months ago on Romans chapter 1. If you want to know where we stand in this church on the issue of abortion or the issue of homosexuality, listen to the studies on Romans 1. I think I spoke the truth. Amen? So go there. I'm just challenging you, family. And I don't mean to be in your face. I'm telling you, the Word of God has spoken. The Holy Spirit has spoken. We have been in prayer, and I trust God to intervene. Four things, very quickly. The issue of abortion. God's Word is clear. He literally hates those whose hands are swift to shed innocent blood. Simple. God is pro-life. That's not my opinion. That is what his word says. We have no business casting a vote for someone who thinks it's okay to destroy children. It's what his word says. You may not like what I just said, but it's what his word says. I'm going with what his word says. Not public opinion and not politics. The issue of traditional marriage and family, again, I spoke to this issue in Romans chapter 1 when we were there on Thursday night. You may go listen to that entire study. God is clear. He made no mistakes in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. He made no mistakes in Romans chapter 1. He made no mistakes in Genesis chapter 19 when he said about the sin of Sodom. It's so pervasive that he destroyed the city. God believes in the institution of marriage. He created it, and in the beginning, he created them male and female. And God does not approve of gay marriage, and God does not approve of the homosexual lifestyle as an alternate lifestyle. So that issue is settled for us as believers. Do you believe in the power of the Word of God? It's what the Bible says. It's not my opinion. It's not something that I fabricated. God spoke clearly. We must speak clearly. And if we believe something is true, we are obligated to act on it. A third issue, the unwavering support for Israel. God's word is clear. Genesis 12, a promise was made to the nation Israel. Joel reminds us that ultimately the world is going to be chastised to the point of God's wrath being poured out for what they have done 
to the land that is God's and to his people, Israel. I don't want to be in that group. We must support Israel. Do you see how these things can frame who you might consider to vote for? I don't need to tell you who. I can tell you how. And in telling you how and telling you what, you will understand by the power of prayer, by the word of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, and through God intervening in the affairs of man sovereignly to accomplish his purposes. And finally, Scripture is very clear about the accumulation of debt. The borrower is always slave to the lender. So when you build your economy on debt, you are dooming your grandchildren's children's children. And so this is a biblical issue. And the reason I picked these four, I could have picked 20 or 30 things. I share these with you, brothers and sisters, in deep love, in great care, in unbelievable concern, in agony over the difficulty that we face on November 8th. But here's what I believe. I believe in the power of the Word of God. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of prayer. And I believe in the power of God to intervene in the affairs of man. If you will rest there, you will search the Word diligently every day and you will be on your knees every day and you will ask the holy spirit to guide you and illuminate your path and you ask god to intervene in the affairs of man we're going to be just fine would you pray with me heavenly father i i believe you can cause pagan kings who don't know you to do good for your people. I believe you can even use them to grant freedoms that they don't even personally believe in. I believe that our candidates have many flaws. We believe that. But Lord, we also believe that you're sovereign in the heavens. And God, we don't want to be displeasing to you. We don't want to do what the children of Israel did when they selected Saul. We want David, a man after your own heart. So God, we're asking you, make us students of your scriptures. Cause us to go to your word and search them daily for the answers to these things. We're asking you, Holy Spirit, to fall afresh upon us. Illuminate our path, our minds. Show us sin and righteousness. We're asking you as we pray to you, Lord, Please give us what you want, not what we ask for. Lord, we may be asking the wrong questions, so we are asking you to intervene in the affairs of man sovereignly. And God, as we put these things into your hands, we're asking you to bless our nation. But we're also asking our nation to bless you. Would you begin revival? And would it be in this house? your house, that it would begin. And so we turn to you in our hour of need, and we know that you will not let us down. And so we give this to you, 
And we ask that you would do from heaven what is your will on this earth. And we know that when we ask of you believing, we have what we ask. And so, Lord, we need your help. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Now, if you'd turn your attention to the Scriptures, because that is why we are here, family. We gather together to study God's Word. Amen? And to pray and to worship. And so that is why I've said what I need to say. I'm going to trust you to God. Colossians chapter 3. We'll pick up now the second part, and we'll get a little introduction to it. We'll finish it in our next study, Righteous Relationships. And the second part here, Parenting. You were here with us. If you missed the time with Tony and his son Anthony and uh, Friday, it was amazing. Amen? Amen. We had just an amazing time on Friday night. Packed house. Crazy. But he said some things that I'm just, amen. Hallelujah. Praise. I'm not the only crazy person on the face of the earth that actually believes that God's word is the answer. You, You see, the family unit is, as I have said before, also the smallest unit of human government. And in fact, the first community was Adam and Eve and their children. Amen? And so families matter. They matter to God, and they should matter to us. And it says here in verse 20, Children, obey your parents in all things. And I tell you that there is a major lack of parenting in our country today. And our country is suffering the consequences of it. Our communities are suffering the consequences of it. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Notice it doesn't say it's well-pleasing to mom and dad. It's well-pleasing to the Lord. It may also please mom and dad, but it's well-pleasing to the Lord that there is order and structure, not anarchy and chaos in the home. Father, bless this great congregation. We ask you now to speak to us in these few moments. God, give us truth that we can cling to and hold on to. Lord, with that truth, be a light unto our path. Bless us with your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And fathers, just two verses here. And fathers. And I would remind you here the original language is a little different than how we have it here in English. Father used here really should be translated parents. But it's speaking because of the culture then directly to the fathers because the fathers were the ones who were supposed to speak to the children at that time. So it says fathers, but it really intends to speak to all of us as parents. Fathers, parents, but dads first because remember, dad's supposed to be the example of Jesus, amen? So you can see what is in view here. If dad will not do his job, 
as I said last week, then mom was kind of off the hook. She's supposed to listen to the Lord, but now there's division in the home because dad's not being Jesus. If dad's being Jesus and mom's being Jesus, then guess what happens to the kids? They get an example of being like Jesus. Amen? So if it breaks down with dad, it will break down, generally speaking, not all the time nor universally. Mom's going to have a tougher time because dad's not supporting what mom's doing and mom's trying to lead the children. And how many families is it going to take before we realize that it takes two parents raising their children and both of them being like Christ? Fathers, do not provoke or exasperate Don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We are a nation of discouraged kids. Very little hope. Because if the best that they have is supposed to be God-fearing parents, and God-fearing parents won't fear God and won't lead in a Christ-like way, we're in trouble. The family matters. How do you relate to your kids? How do you this morning, who are parents with us, and I recognize there may be some singles in here, so please, this could either be for your future, it could be that uh, you may remain single the rest of your days, but there is a place that these principles, because we were all once kids, amen? So in that sense, every mom and dad has also been a son or a daughter. God's plan is that this plan continue through the ages. That godly homes produce godly churches that produce godly communities and godly counties and godly states and godly nations and a godly world. Amen? And Brother Tony brought that to us in view. I said much the same thing a couple of weeks ago. That's God's plan. If every one of our homes is a microcosmic view of a Christ-honoring, Christ-led unit of people gathered together for the purpose of glorifying God, and then that grows into a church, and the church into a community, a community into a county, and a county into a state, and a state into a nation, and a nation into the world, how much better do you think our world would be than it is currently? Godly parenting matters. You're showing your children what it is to fear God. You're showing your children what it means to be a believer. You're showing your children what it means to be like Christ. Can I tell you, there's Christian homes where you're not really sure who's in charge. We say we're Christians, but is Christ head? And is dad following Christ? And his mom submitted to that Christ-like leadership that's death to self. And do the kids then get affected so greatly by the relationship that they have with the Lord that it's really hard for them to not be followers of Jesus? Or are our homes a place of negative choices? Where the choice is not clear. Where we're not really sure where dad stands. We're not really sure where mom stands. And when they're together, it's even worse than they're individually uh, expressing themselves. The choice in a Christian home should be Jesus. It should be Christ-like. 
It should be Christ-honoring. So now remember where we are. We have put off the old, and we have put on the new. And it got tested in our marital relationship as husbands and wives. Can you see the plan of God unfolding here? And then we produce children who love and fear the Lord, who trust in the word of God, who are constantly believing in the the power of the Holy Spirit, and for the Lord to absolutely speak through prayer, and for God to be able to intervene, because they trust God, and mom and dad trust God, and their family trusts God. You see, godly parenting is trusting God. It's not trusting psychology, and I'm not dismissing psychology or psychologists or psychiatrists or any of those things, so please read nothing into what I'm saying. Godly parenting is us being Christ-like. It's us being like Jesus in our homes. It's expressing a godly worldview to our children. It is believing what we have heard in God's Word and then living it out. It's not, well, it says this, but we do this. What do you think we teach our children? We say, well, we're not supposed to be angry. We're to sin not. We're not supposed to be bitter. We're not supposed to be hateful and spiteful. We're supposed to do good to those who do bad things to us. But we turn right around and do exactly the opposite. What lesson do you believe our children will learn? You see, if we live it at home, then they have the best opportunity to live it outside of the home. But if we don't live it at home, then we are showing them that we are hypocrites. We say one thing, we do another. Brothers and sisters, God loves children. His original command in Genesis chapter 1 was, be fruitful and multiply. That's his original command to humankind. Kids are such a blessing. I want you to have some of them. But he surely doesn't want to entrust those children into homes that won't honor him. We need to honor the Lord with our children. A little microcosm that is you. C.S. Lewis said it this way. If homes is a means to grace, it must be a place of rules. For the alternative to rule is not freedom, but the unconstitutional and often unconscious tyranny of the most selfish member. Think about that one for a second. How many homes are ruled by the most tyrannical person instead of Jesus? You see, if dad's like Jesus and mom's like Jesus, and the kids get a picture of being like Jesus... And mom and dad say, you know, in our home, we're going to be like Jesus. Because you know what? Your children, they're little sinners. And they need a Savior. And you need to tell them what that's like. Not, you know, hey, everybody did that when they were young. If I hear another parent, I'm going to slap you. (laughs) It'll be in Jesus' name, but... What is wrong with you? Your children don't need to... Well, I did it when I was your age. They have that from Adam, okay? They don't need help. 
What they need is you to tell them what it's like to be a follower of Christ. And to resist the devil and to flee sin. And to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Not as for me and my house, we're going to serve my flesh. Children are precious. They are to be our inheritance. You realize that your children are supposed to be the most precious thing in your life that God has given you to tend while you're here. And can I tell you something? Your kids are actually still God's kids. They're just on loan. They're God's kids because he's the creator of life. And yet so many parents look at child rearing like it's some unbearable burden. But God didn't get no special treatment when he, when he put you on this earth. Me on this earth. We gave God a few headaches, amen? Why don't you take a full bu- few bullets for your kids and love on them? You see, for us, godly parenting produces godly children. Because children, for the most part, Don't create problems in the home. They reveal problems that are already there in the home. They're not the ones that make the problems. There's other problems, and they have seen them, and they're now living them out. That's why it says don't exasperate your children. Don't give them things that they can't bear. Don't make life so hard for them. Can I tell you that your children need your nurture? They need your care. They need to know that home is safe. They got enough to deal with in the world. They don't need to deal with it when they get home. They need a sanctuary to come home to. And your house is supposed to be a sanctuary unto the Lord. Your home is actually also the smallest unit of church. Did you know that? Where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst of them. And because you individually as husband and wife are also brother and sister in the Lord, where there are two who are gathered, that's the church. Your home's supposed to be church. You, you see, sometimes we forget in our busy life. Life's hard, amen? I'm not dismissing that life's hard. Life is difficult. It's not easy. But God didn't call us to easy. God called us to hard. God called us to the road that's narrow. God has called us to be like Him in a world that's not like Him. It should not shock us, family of God. It shouldn't shock us. That it might be a little bit difficult to do that in a world that's not like Him. I simply ask you, make your children a priority. Don't discourage them. They're already in Satan's crosshairs. They already have enough to deal with at school. They already have enough to deal with with peer pressure. Sometimes we as parents forget that it's our duty to raise our children in the fear and the admonition, the training of the Lord. It is not the California Teacher Association's duty to do that. It is your job to raise your own children. And God bless the teachers. 
Let me be really clear here. That wasn't a bash on anybody. It's not their job to straighten out our messes. Sometimes we hand them children that are so broken that there is no hope in the classroom. We need to take seriously raising godly kids. And let me give you a little thing, a little task. You may have some in your neighborhood who need some help. Why don't you step in in those broken homes? Why don't you be an extra set of parents at times for those who really need it? Because there's plenty of kids who need some help. You, You see, it's serious business because those kids are the ones that are going to be taking over this country when we head home. They're either our best hope or our greatest fear. And I pray we make it our best hope. That we, as much as it lies with us, have raised children who love the Lord Jesus. That our children find a refuge from life's battles in our homes. That we help them carry those burdens that are difficult to carry. That in our homes they find a loving heart and a watchful eye. There's a balance to it. It flows out of us. It's something that should happen almost as as an automatic representation of who we are as believers. We're not to embitter our kids. They don't need to be nagged. They need to be loved. They don't need to be beat on. They're being beat on by the world. They need to be lovingly exhorted to walk with God. Loving is leading, and leading is loving. And I pray that we do that. Amen? Would you stand and let's pray. Father God, we pray right now for the homes that need a special touch from you. And Lord, probably all of us can do better. Even those of us who are seemingly successful at raising our children in you can always use an extra touch. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, fall afresh upon your church. And Lord, I want to pray for those that this morning this message has been tough. It's been hard. Maybe they feel as though they failed. God, would you be their source of strength? Father, would you lift their eyes and see that you were able, and through you they can be more than conquerors? Lord, would you break the strongholds of the enemy in our homes, in our communities, in our state, our nation? Lord, we cry out to you to make us more like Jesus. And so, Father, we put all of this in your hands, and we pray that you would bless us with your presence in our lives in such a way that the world would know that we love you, and we serve you, and we have no God but you. We thank you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.